Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to CSP3. That's Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Power. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, a Penguin Random House publication that came out last summer. I also write for several websites and online magazines, and I work with a few global humanitarian organizations, writing about and advocating for women's and human rights. Since we're deep into caucus and primary season and what seems like an unending series of debates, I thought this week was the perfect one to talk about what I call the politics of motherhood. Seriously, there are few walks of life that are more heavily politicized. Some of the work I do is with CARE, a global poverty eradicating and humanitarian organization that works with underserved people in developing countries, specifically with women and girls. I'm a citizen advocate, which means that I hold meetings with my senators and congressmen periodically to represent CARE's concerns and to discuss issues, bills, and policy measures that impact the world's poorest and most unrepresented people on earth. It's a very cool gig that's given me the best Politics 101 education of my life. Now, before getting involved with CARE, I was a dedicated voter and a lifelong volunteer, but I wasn't terribly astute or active in politics. Somehow it just seemed like something that was out of my reach, though I was always really opinionated and interested in politics and government. Now, what does that have to do with pregnancy, parenting, and power? Everything. So much of our lives as women, mothers, and parents is directly connected with our level of education, jobs, income levels, health and health care, medical insurance, personal safety, and our ability and power to guide our own life paths. Our government plays a big role in all of that. And I'm not just talking about the obvious women's health politics that are playing out nonstop in headlines, like about Planned Parenthood and abortion rights. I'm talking about things like access to family planning, too, which has a huge impact on a woman's life. I'm talking about laws that guarantee women have access and the ability to afford the most appropriate health care providers during pregnancy, not just doctors and specialists, but also midwives and doulas. I'm talking about laws that still haven't gotten passed, like the Equal Pay Act, which guarantees more women can make a fair and living wage that will enable them to better raise their kids. And I'm talking about laws that mandate focused research on what does and doesn't constitute safe maternal health care. Before I got involved as a citizen advocate, I never knew how much power a small group of citizens or even a single citizen can have on changing policy. I was surprised to realize it all happens through relationships, email by email, phone call by phone call, vote by vote, and even in person in your senator's office, in your home state, or in Washington, D.C. Being an active citizen can be as easy as sending an email or making a phone call or telling your representative staff member how you stand on an issue. All calls are recorded and go directly to your representative. It could mean going to a town hall meeting and listening to your community's concerns and your representative's ideas for meeting them. It can mean really researching candidates for election in all levels of government, from local politics to the presidential campaign. It means making sure you vote for the ones you think will best represent women's, mothers, and girls' rights. And I can't encourage each of you strongly enough to get involved. Indeed, we're one of the only countries on earth where our 
voices, votes, and direct advocacy is possible and matter, but they can also influence the lives of women, mothers, girls, parents, and families all over the world. Seriously. So today, I want to talk to a woman who also has a huge passion for politics. She's also passionate about passing laws in California that may have the impact of improving maternal health standards throughout the state and then standing as model for the rest of the country. Carlene Bash is a maternal health outcome advocate, board chair of the Unexpected Project, and a California delegate of the 45th Assembly District. She's also a mom whose second pregnancy and birth were life-changing in a whole lot of ways. Let's get Carlene on the line. Hi, Carlene. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I like to start this off by finding out where are you? You're in Southern California, right? Yes, I am in Los Angeles. Yeah. And it's sunny and yeah. warm and fabulous? Uh, yeah. It was, yeah. But 50 <laughs> degrees is cold for us. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not too far away from that, except it's in the 40s here in Portland, but it's drizzly, gray, cold, dark. Oh. Everybody who listens to my podcast, you're probably saying, oh, my God, that again? She's complaining <laughs> about the weather. <laughs> Wait, give me a break. It's February in Portland. It's been raining for months. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, hey, Carlene, I'm really um, glad that you could come on the podcast because there are so many things that you and I can talk about. Um, you know, I teed you up in my interview as a woman who has um, used – your passion for politics, and, you know, your experiences that you've had having your babies, and you've kind of done a combo deal, and you're making some real serious traction in improving things for all moms. So I wanted to talk to you about that. Um, yeah. And I think that we should start out with, um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what your pregnancy and birth experiences have been like. Well, uh I have three children, and my my oldest is was he's ten. And I have to say, when I reflect on that pregnancy, it actually was pretty easy. Obviously, I didn't know any better or any worse at that time. And uh, he, I delivered him at forty weeks, and I was induced because he was getting so large that that the physician was concerned that I, he would have to do a c-section I'm, I'm more of a slight tall thin built person so i was induced and i he was delivered with a vacuum and i, I remember being a little nervous about that idea but actually when i when i, I look at his birth it was really it went 16 hours of labor but it all in all it was it was worth in the end it, everything went well and uh the next day i was up breastfeeding him and looking at all this these beautiful babies in this nursery and and i just felt like i was you know a piece of heaven it, mm -hmm. it was amazing and um and i went home three days later and everything it was it was wonderful just the unknown factor of being a new mom and not knowing exactly what to do and mm -hmm. and and but that all that all comes into play and you, you as as you know mm -hmm. you figure it out as well so yeah. that was wonderful um 
my other experience, and and I have, I'm very grateful. I have twin beautiful girls, and they are they are just wonderful people. And they, thankfully, they were healthy during the birth. And I'm very aware with a twin pregnancy, there are so many risks with twins. And um, I will say, I I kind of. I thought I knew everything and read up on every every single thing that I could to be aware and but I did I I did not know that the risks could come after birth postpartum wise mm-hmm. and in yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? All the information in the book stops the day that the baby is born. You might get a chapter or two about breastfeeding, but that's about it for most literature. Yes, and maybe how to get your body back in shape. Right, right. Yeah, because like that's the most, the biggest priority in those first months. Not, <laughs> not. So, so yeah. Uh, well, I had a high risk pregnancy, and and I I'm very honest about this. My my twin, our twins were frozen embryos, and and so there was that factor to be factored in. You know, mm-hmm. in vitro fertilization heightens risks. And um, and so the pregnancy was very difficult. I had a small hematoma in one of the placentas. I could not go to yoga. I could not walk. No, no sexual intimacy of any kind. You know, it was just very. The pregnancy itself became very restrictive, and and it was such a opposite experience compared to my son. And in the end, I. Uh, delivered and think think I'm very grateful they were both over five pounds so that neither one of them went to the NICU and they were healthy but I did not feel well after the birth and I had um, had complained to hospital staff that I didn't understand why I wasn't feeling well and I, um, I it was explained that this is normal with a c-section not to worry uh, I was still retaining so much water I remember I could make a whole dent in my foot and in my leg with putting my finger, and I, I I was concerned because it wasn't like the prior birth. And as as you know, um, Jean, that as I went home, I did not feel well, and then a week right after, a week after the girl's birth, it was three days home from the hospital. I started to bleed, which turned into hemorrhaging pretty quickly and fortunately my husband came home he called 911 and I ended up at a hospital close by where I had uh, transfusions and emergency surgery a failed DNC which turned into uterine hysterectomy and I was in um, in the ICU but I eventually got up got out of there and came home and I I was so grateful to be home with my children and my husband. Mm-hmm. And what I learned that there are warning signs in your body that we all need to listen to. And I think sometimes in the medical world, there's the pregnant complaining women can get dismissed. Yeah, and, so and true. I, or overlooked, or it's not a big deal, or she's worried, or... She has postpartum depression, or and even if the the mom does, that needs to be addressed as well. But sure. but there was, I I don't know how I I could not believe that 
that that happened, and I was under this false impression that postpartum hemorrhage happens in third world countries, or it happens in the hospital right away and they catch it. I didn't think I didn't think it could ever happen to me, and so that's when I decided to kind of think about this whole idea of taking politics into women's women's health mm-hmm. and and make something of it. I I honestly thought what happened to uh, my myself was such a fluke thing, but then I learned from uh, a woman named Jessica Hill that my husband works with. She same same situation section also mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sent home by the hospital a week later and and then another woman up north melissa price mm-hmm. so it was just it's it, that's what inspired me to make some change and as i researched more and more i found that a lot of women suffer or come you know or unfortunately they don't they don't live right. and and these statistics aren't being reported and in or they are, but no one's really doing anything to help prevent these or being held accountable. This is a bit of a tangent, but you know, you're talking about how mothers' complaints or concerns are dismissed, which happens all the time. Um, you know, as as being, oh, they're just being emotional, or they're just, you know, they're dismissed. And I remember both in nursing school and in one hospital that I worked at, where um, we were taught by an older physician who had been practicing for decades that the number one thing that you need to pay attention to is the mother's intuition. If she says to you, something is really wrong here, or I think something's wrong with my baby, or you know something like that, she knows what she's talking about. Take her seriously. And I certainly didn't see that attitude um, carried out in younger physicians um, and in many staff who had been around for a long time. And yesterday I was talking to um, Dr. Lissa Rankin, who has written a, a number of books about um, you know challenges that healthcare providers face, um, but specifically about the power of our, our mind to be able to create health or illness. And she was talking about how respect for intuition is a lost and dying art and that it needs to come back. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that's a tangent, but you know, it's interesting that it kind of comes up in a couple of conversations. It, so, it, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. 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 So much of the work that you're doing and I'm doing and, you know, other people in our circles are doing are to elevate respect for what women say. And, you know, I'm always inspired by the ways women, and especially mothers, um, take advantage of the really dire circumstances similar to your own, and they springboard it into new opportunities. And in your case, what you experienced, your post-delivery complication, was really horrible. Um, But you survived, and you decided to kind of turn that in a new direction to advocate for better births for mothers in California. So... You talked a little bit about that happened. Um, tell me a little bit about how you stepped into the political arena and what it, what it is that you do. Well, I've always had an interest in politics. Uh, I'm a Democrat, and I always 
believe in, you know, standing up for people's rights. And, and I had, I, I found this, a link was sent to me, become a delegate, run in your area. So, and this is about, I would say a year and a half after the girls were born. And I thought, I can't, I thought, can I really do this? You had that, this is crazy thought, didn't you? Yeah, I did. (laughs) I'm like, this is crazy. And and I decided I needed to go for it. And I did. And I ran. And I just, and there are two-year terms. And I ran again in 2015. And I I was thrilled that I was the the female with the most votes. I, I was honored. So I, but my whole focus as, as the delegates and my assembly member and my senator know is maternal health and, and making making maternal health outcomes better for mom and baby, of course. And and it's been a long process. I I lobbied up in Sacramento with Ann Garrett Addison from the Unexpected Project to have some sort of mandate put into where the reporting has to happen at the at, at the time there is no current uh, mandate of maternal death reporting in California they can uh, if it happens in the hospital they have to report it so it, it's okay wait a minute a, we, we have to clarify that when you say there is no okay. mandatory reporting what exactly does that mean who who's reporting why is it not mandatory what are you talking about well, the, the, okay, there are there is something called a maternal death check box, mm-hmm. and so if something happens, let's say to the, okay, back to the reporting, they don't have to report it to the state um, unless it's on the death certificate, maternal mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. So, and it's kind of the way they do it is they link up birth certificates of the baby and 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 death certificates of the mother. And what happens if what ha- there's sort of a gray area if a mother has a different last name, she's not married to the father, or she kept her maiden name. Um, so there are six states in, in the union that have the mandate, and we are, California is not one of them. And I really, that was my attempt in the beginning to have this sort of mandate for physicians and hospitals. And what I learned in the political arena is that most most physicians and most hospitals will not do not like being told what to do. It's no way. Just, <laughs> no way. Right. Exactly. No way. And and I got a phone call from the ACOG lobbyist and said, "Look, we're going to have to work together on this, and I hope we can." But and 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 I was happy to get that far in the same breath you know it wasn't it's not exactly the way i want you know word by word but i the the important idea between behind ab 508 that's the bill is to have data for for so we know where we need to improve on and and that there is an annual report every year in california the uh, California State Assembly just voted on this um, January 29th, and it went through. Now it's it's will go to the Senator Health Committee in June, and it'll it'll go to the Senate Appropriations Committee, and then to the Senator floor, 
and back to the assembly floor. floor. The bill was introduced in uh, 2015, and then it was kind of put on a hold for the whole year because they wanted to sort of sort out what would what what are we reporting, what are we not reporting, um, and so on. So it's it's definitely a little different than than the original idea. However, uh, if you read the bill online, you can see where it's been amended, where there have been changes, but it's still the idea is to have an annual report of each year of, um, of the outcomes of maternal health for, for just the mother and, and, and severe maternal morbidity as well. Um, and I so, imagine that the hope is that once there's better transparency and accuracy in reporting these maternal deaths, then they'll start drilling down more accurately into where they happen, why they happen, what could change to improve right. you know, maternal health for all moms. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's, I believe it's, it's such an important part of life. And I, it surprises me that the United States has sort of failed in this regard of, of women's health. Yeah. So that was one thing that I wanted to ask you is what role do you see politics playing in reproductive and maternal health and and parenting and in parenting in general? What are you seeing? I think I will I see that like I said before, the the lobbyists from the physician groups and the hospitals are very strong. I'm sure just not in California you know, Everywhere. Congress as well. Right. Yeah. And I, I think there has to be somewhat, somewhat of a compromise or exchange of ideas because I think a lot of women are getting angry and upset about, well, why, why is this happening? Or there's, there are Facebook groups of women who are survivors and they start, they have all these petitions up to ACOG. And so it, it's just, I think hopefully it will become the maternal health aspect of it. I think something will happen near in the future. Uh, I hope my bill sets an example for other states. The, Illinois is a state that has better reporting mechanisms than California. Mm-hmm. New York, I think, has pretty great reporting. Um, so, But moving ahead for as a parent, politics, I believe, will always play a role in reproductive and maternal health and parenting as well i i mean i feel for the mom who has what four or five children and she has her last baby c-section and she can't get her tubes tied on the table because it's it's a certain type of hospital and right and they won't tie her tubes right i i think that women should own their bodies and not not the government or not the hospital that i think a woman should have that right if she needs to have her tubes tied and as she's finished giving having children for her life, I, I don't know why anyone should be involved in that decision. Right. So, and we're seeing that across the board in reproductive health. And I do think that there is there's real value in having these conversations because the more we talk about it, the more we, people will be aware that yeah, we're actually facing some really tremendous um, and punitive political action against women that just isn't happening to men. It's just not. 
not. It's not. Yeah. It's, it's all not. about women. Yeah. It and is. we could talk a long time about that. And in fact, maybe we will. But I'm okay. <laughs> really, uh, I think that in this, I don't want to say attack on women. I think it's maybe more subversive than an attack. Um, but this lack of support of comprehensive maternal and reproductive health care has to do with the fact that women are not represented in government. You know, across yeah. all political platforms, whether it is, you know, a city congress or delegate or, you know, senators and congress women, we only have we have less than twenty percent representation. Men have 80% representation. They're making the decisions that impact our lives as women, mothers, parents. And I really believe that if we have equal representation, things are going to change in a big way. I I agree with you. I think it, it needs to change. And I think men don't quite understand um, women's issues at all. They you know, try, but, but they're not even women's issues. You know, they're everyone's issues. Mothers, everyone has a mother. Everyone came from a mother. Everyone knows a mother. You know, it's not, we can't subdivide it like that. They're human issues. And yet, they have a different perspective. I don't want to vilify our representatives um, simply because they're men, but, you know, they have different priorities, different viewpoints. Well, it's interesting, even with, with this California AB 508 bill, I... Uh, took it to my assembly member who is a man and he wanted he wanted to move forward with it and he then he thought about it and said it probably would be better if a woman was behind this because it just it would be better for the bill and I honestly think it was the right call for him to to make it, it, I think it made a huge difference and it moved forward which I'm happy about that I have an author who is a woman, and uh, Christina, Assemblymember Christina Garcia is the author on my bill, and she, now there's a co-author, Autumn, who's also another uh, women assembly member. Mm-hmm. So this was this was all wonderful news to me, mm-hmm. and I, I think if there were more women in government that would see this point of view reproductive-wise, whether it's whether it's maternal or choice or or uh, having feeling that you're finished having children and you want to have your two that they would have a lot more understanding of that so that's that is my belief so what do you think it's going to take to get equal representation gosh i think i think it's going to take time and maybe a woman president first i i am not sure i i think it's I think women feel um, that if they go, they go out there, and it's a little intimidating to. to uh, but I, I have found that in my assembly, or I'm sorry, there are 12 senators in the California, 12 women senators, and I think that's about a third, hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. So. So California's got it going on. 
Thank yeah, God. They, they do. They have yeah. a, there's a lot of women in the assembly, and, and but it's not. It's nowhere near representation. It's probably a third and or to a quarter a piece of of each floor. Mm-hmm. So I would, yeah. Um, I think that women are afraid of the scrutiny. They don't want their yes. their lives, their families, their children to be put um, on under the microscope. And I think that there's yeah. this illusion that only perfect people with no history or lives, um, you know, prior to running for for um, government position, you know, only they can be elected. And I think that that's got to change, too. You know, we yeah. there but for the grace of God go I. I mean, we all have issues and yet we are the very people that should be representing everyone. Do you think you'll yeah. go further in your political career? I've thought about it honestly about uh, for the assembly or but not or maybe just even locally here in my I live in a suburban area of Los Angeles and I've thought about running for mayor here but I I at this point my commitment is to be an activist for maternal health mm-hmm. and see this bill carry through by the end of the year, there's always a chance that Jerry Brown may veto it, which would be more than just upsetting. But why, I why would he do that? Apparently, I have heard that he does not like any sort of mandated reporting of any kind or to the department. He doesn't, and I, I actually, I'm not sure exactly why, but I, I've looked at bills, and there's things. There are certain bills that were vetoed, but I can't imagine that he would veto this bill. I, but I. So since this bill did originate in the assembly in 2015, it has to go. It was it was put on hold, and then it it began again this last January 2016. And so it goes through the Senate floor, and then it has, has to go back to the Assembly and then to Jerry Brown, mm. if there are any amendments made in it mm-hmm. in the Assembly, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it has, it has a while to go uh, between now and late September. Is there anything that listeners can do to help improve its chances of passing? I believe if, if you live in California and you want to call your senator and say, I, I support AB 508, that would be great. That would be absolutely wonderful. And where so. can listeners go to learn more about it? You can go to California Legislative Information and just Google, and it'll and, and it'll ask what bill number, and it's A as in Apple, B as in boy, and then 508. Great. So, and you can see where the amended, the bill originally, and had the versions that have changed and so on. I hope, though, that this is a this leads an example for other states to do the same. Uh, I know that there are, like Texas, for example, has doesn't have great maternal health outcomes at all. Um, I, I just hope that this helps improve across the nation. If 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 it can help California, yeah. So a template for others, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, and I, I still am waiting for um, John Conyers Jr. for his. I know he introduced a, a federal bill, and it never, it, it died unfortunately. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yes. 
as so many things like this do. I mean, it's just so frustrating. Those, those of us that do advocacy and lobbying, we bring bills that are really pertinent to the lives of women and girls and mothers and parents um, to our representatives. We talk to them about it, and then they fall short. And, you know, it's hard not to see a pattern in how women are treated. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, Carlene, I um, feel if, like, oh, go ahead, go ahead. If there, I, I will say, um, back to politics, though, you, what, I, what I find fascinating, though, is that um, I, I think that there, there will be a lot of changes moving forward with gay marriage and surrogacy and, and traditional surrogacy, where you, or as opposed to hiring somebody outside and and so on. And I, I think, um, I don't know if you heard about this story about this gentleman in New York who wanted to be a father, so he hired a surrogate in Woodland Hills, California, which is in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she got pregnant with um, triplets. And he was not thrilled about that, and he asked her to abort one of them, and she she would not. And it's going to court, which is it was in the New York Post. So I think politics in and women's rights, reproductive rights, you know, can go very extreme. Mm-hmm. In, and um, and because the world is changing, I think it'll change too. And I always think of reproductive rights as Roe versus Wade, but it's it's gone way on the it's yeah over that yeah yeah so. Well, I feel like we've talked quite a lot about this and may talk about it more, you know, in days to come or or going forward. Sure. But I like to ask the moms who come on the podcast this closing question. Where are you in your life as a mom? I am so where am I? Yeah, where are mom? you? Where are you in your life I as a mom? Love I I love uh, I I love being a mom to three kids. They are just now my twins are almost in kindergarten, and I, I feel so content. And I there are times where I don't want to miss a moment, and there and then there are other days w- when I just want to go to bed. <laughs> so uh, and and I feel so overjoyed and so so much gratitude that. I was able to survive something so horrible and and get past it and really try to make and and be a great mom and be present. Mm-hmm. But I also think there are we all we can't ha- always just be a mom a hundred percent of the time. We also have to find something for ourselves that we like to do, whether it's being an advocate or writing or going to yoga or running running miles you know or marathon there's always a part of of ourselves that has to feel whole for for us to be able to give all that love to our children mm-hmm. and I, I think that's one thing I learned um, a lot about myself so I I feel very fortunate and um, and and uh, I feel like, oh my goodness, I wouldn't I, even if I could, I wouldn't want any more children. My children, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just, I'm, I'm very content. So it's, it's, 
it's a journey, and each child teaches you something different is what I've learned. Yeah. Well, that's great. So, well, yeah. Carlene, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your insight and the work that you're doing, and I think it's valuable for you know all of the listeners to recognize that there is an awful lot that we can do as engaged citizens to improve life for mothers everywhere. Yes. Yeah. I hope to do that. Well, thank you, and thank you so much for having me, and it's, it's so wonderful to talk with you. Okay. Yeah, we'll catch up again you. soon. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, Mama said. Today's guest was Carlene Bash. You can learn more about Assembly Bill 508 by going to the California Legislative Information website. Just Google that name in. You can learn more about me at genefaulkner.com, and you can email me at at genefaulkner.com with questions and concerns. This podcast is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. And now for a little shameless favor asking. Please, guys, go on to iTunes and leave me a rave review so that more women, mothers, and parents will find CSP3 and join in the conversation because we have so much to talk about, right? Like this, my mama said. My mama said.